As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey Blenders, it's Sean here to introduce you to a bonus episode of Real Blend, a very special interview with director Andrew Dominic, uh, who is talking about his new film, Blonde, which was in limited release and is now coming to Netflix. Uh, this is generating a ton of conversation, primarily because of its NC-17 rating and the performance of Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. Uh, this is not a true Uh, traditional biopic, but instead sort of a fantasy version of the trials and tribulations that Marilyn Monroe probably went through over the course of her illustrious Hollywood career, uh, with some liberties taken, of course. Uh, but that's what makes Andrew Dominic's um, translation of her story and and his feature his feature film um, that much more interesting, I think. Uh, we're going to get into a, a full review of the film on Friday's show. Uh, and you're going to want to tune into that because uh, at least one of us uh, disagrees completely with the other two. And that always makes for an interesting conversation. Uh, but speaking of interesting conversations, I want to throw it right to our interview uh, with Andrew Dominic speaking about Blonde here on Real Blonde. So I want to start here because I, I think that for a number of people uh, who probably watch Blonde, they might never have actually seen a full Marilyn Monroe performance. They might have seen yeah. clips from gentlemen prefer blondes or or maybe even checked out some like it hot and so i just want to know from your opinion what you thought of her as an actress uh what made her interesting as a performer well you know um i didn't think anything of her as an actress before i i i read the book you know what i mean like uh, marilyn monroe films were not really in my kind of you know wheelhouse of mm. kind of cinema if you know what i mean um i think i thought she wasn't good You know, okay. until I actually started uh, watching the films because of the book. And now my opinion is completely the opposite. I think that um, I think The Prince and the Showgirl is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen by a woman. That performance is extraordinary. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's not, you know, maybe it's not the greatest film she was ever in, but it's, it's certainly an incredible performance. I mean, obviously her, her acting changes over her sort of, you know, three decade 
in the movie business, well, not three decades, maybe two decades, you know. Mm. And it goes from that very bizarro kind of um, early stuff with Natasha Lightest was her acting coach where she emphasises every consonant. You know, and if you seem don't bother to knock, but it's the most w- weird way of speaking. And then you get the kind of mid, mid-period kind of um, cartoonish, you know, sort of dumb blonde sex doll period. And then you get like, you know, uh, post Strasbourg where she gets, you, you know, she, she, she goes further towards naturalism and um, she's amazing. I mean, she's amazing because it doesn't matter what the movie's about, whatever's going on with her becomes the main story. You know what I mean? Like we see a movie like the misfits or something like that, which is supposed to be like these three sort of broken down, you know, uh, shattered men and she's like this breath of life that's brought into their lives i mean that's the idea of it but when you watch the movie it's about three creepy guys trying to trying to fuck a pilled out divorcee you know like whatever's going on with her um is the most compelling thing you know I want to talk about the aspect ratio changes in the film. Um, I thought they were incredible. Uh, to me, they gave me a disorienting feeling The guy we were going through with the character. Uh, but going from like the 137 and the 185 and 239 and kind of those shifts, but also you shift from color to black and white as you also shift aspect ratios. Can you talk about the thematics and the narrative choices as to what you wanted to put out yeah. with those changes? Yeah, I mean, basically... Um... I wanted to sort of, you know, harness the collective memory of her, right? So if if you've got a, uh, if you know Marilyn Monroe's life in images, um, there's so many images in the film that you're going to recognise. And um, the idea, like if you do a Google search of Marilyn Monroe, you'll see all these images from all over the film. And I guess the idea was to sort of... um, to sort of trap her within the collective memory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it was a bit, it was a little bit nerve wracking because I thought, Oh, maybe the, maybe the, maybe it might be a little distracting to mix color and black and white, you know? Um, but, um, I think it works. I like it. I mean, and there's no logic to it. Do you know what I mean? There's no kind of, um, story logic like flashbacks are black and white or when she's happy it's color when she's sad it's black and white it's nothing like that it's 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 just purely what image is the scene based on is that what what aspect ratio is that image in um you know because when you look at cinema of the time right um it's very sort of key light, technicolor, um, black and white. It's a very old fashioned style of photography that looks, um, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like storybook dream photography and I love it, you know, but um, when you look at photographs of her, they're very modern, you know, most of them are, are made in available light with beautiful large format, you know, Leica lenses and stuff like that. It's a very modern kind of a look. Um, and just because she's photographed, do you know what I mean? There's so much imagery of Marilyn Monroe. And even if you haven't seen, even if you're not conscious of the fact that you've seen these images, you've seen these images, you know, they're tugging at some memory that's inside you. Um, and I just felt like that was too good to ignore, particularly if you're dealing with a movie that's primarily dealing with the unconscious, 
you know. Yeah. Uh, the moment we were discussing, Jake, I'm sorry to cut you off, was when uh, Arthur Mirla comes out of the of having recognized her as a as an actual performer, and then he's confronted with the seven year itch promo. You know, yeah. and it's like a, a reminder of, oh, that's right. In addition, she is this larger than life character that you can't escape almost. Yeah, I mean, she's going to be big in his life. Do you, do you know what I mean? And he's trying to run away from her, but like you know. Uh, you know, he's just a helpless little man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Andrew, that actually leads perfectly into my next question, because I want to talk about crafting a story around someone in history where the legend of the person is is arguably bigger than rea- the reality and, and both the case of Jesse James and Marilyn Monroe. So I'm curious, as a storyteller, did you see any similarities between the two experiences making those two movies in which both of the people are, are at no, no longer just people? They're almost godlike figures uh, yeah. within the realm of pop culture yeah i mean um you know the th- the difference with jesse james is everything that ha- happens in jesse james is factually accurate do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean um bob ford killed jesse james because uh dick little fucked Woodhite stepmother uh, and tried to kill, uh, and would tried to kill Dick, and Dick killed Bob, and they were frightened of, of uh, cousin Jesse finding out, and that's why they killed him, right? I mean, it's yeah. the craziest kind of, you know, shaggy dog story about what <laughs> happened, you know. Um, but um, Blonde is not concerned with factual accuracy in the same way. I mean, Blonde is basically um, trying to harness a certain iconography and a certain historical figure to say something about all human beings, you know, about the way all people experience life, um, particularly the unloved, the unloved children of the world. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Whereas Jesse James is a little bit more um, uh, beholden to, to history, you know. Um, that's I say that would be the difference between the two of them. Do you know what I mean? I guess both of them are concerned with, I mean, I like true stories about real people and I like people who are extraordinary and a lot of people who are extraordinary uh, uh, famous, you know. It makes sense. Um, Yeah. Andrew, not to have you speak for her, obviously, um, but I'm curious about the types of conversations that you had with Anna then about um, her own experiences of being uh, someone who is a celebrity uh, and the amount of attention well, she, that she wasn't, gets. She wasn't really a celebrity when we started. Do, do you know what okay. I mean? She sort of become one in the interim. Um, hmm. uh, I mean, Anna is not a sense memory girl. I mean, obviously the, the film is concerned with some of these acting ideas about like harnessing your own trauma or, you know, she's trying to conjure up a memory of her father in order to help her play a scene and an audition and all that sort of stuff. All that very all those early sort of method ideas, which, uh, you know, also have a certain overlap with um, uh, psychoanalysis, you know, mm-hmm. a very fertile sort of period, you know, um, in for both like head shrinking and acting, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they were sort of inclined, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the film's concerned with all of that stuff. But Anna is not... Um, you know, Anna is not recalling some hideous trauma in order to like act. Yeah. Mm. You know, she's um, just using her imagination. I mean, I remember having mm. that conversation with her about like, you know, wh- where does it come from? She said, oh, I'm never trying. It's never something from my own life. It's always just trying to put myself in normal shoes, you know, pretty mm. much. Mm. Um, but having said that, you know, 
she's primarily kind of an emotional being in a way, Anna, or when you start dealing with her in scenes, it's very much a kind of feeling world that you're in, you know? Um, so, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't really, I mean, obviously life experience comes into it, you know, like when you're trying to explain what a scene is and it's like, you know, when blah, 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 you know, when they're trying to talk yeah. you, when your agent's trying to talk you into, you know, doing something for less money or like, you know, that we've, we've all got that because we're in the business. We've all got that sort of commonality of, course. Um, of, of experiences there. Um, and the overwhelmingness of like a premiere, you know, like the way you capture premieres and the amount of attention that's on her, it's yeah. suffocating, you know, and I would assume yeah. she has some experience with that. Well, that's what it feels like. You, you know what I mean? I mean, most of the time it's like, um, it's like, you know, I don't think anyone enjoys that stuff. You know, or, or I mean, occasionally you enjoy it, but like, it's, it's pretty bizarre. You know, yeah, for sure. the nexus of that kind of attention is just like, you know. Yours was last night, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't so crazy. I mean, I got there late, I think, you know, they just, yeah. not a very long carpet at the, um, at the man's Chinese, sure. you know, from the edge of Hollywood Boulevard to the, to the front door. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't crazy, right? No, it wasn't crazy. I mean, Venice is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could, yes. Lighting and fucking going crazy, you know. <laughs> I want to talk to you more about the um, the immersive quality of the camera work and the score is absolutely incredible. And I was talking to you earlier about the aspect ratios and I thought that that was such an immersive tool and the black and white and the color. I thought all of that brought me into the world more. I was, I was latched on to the story because of images and the way you uh, played with them. But right. I remember one time I was watching Jesse James, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I remember Deacons talks about using these Deaconizer lenses where it would yeah. like it would blur aspects of the frame. Um, and I saw that here as well. You were blurring sections of the frame as well that Chase Irvin's doing as well. Can you talk about what you want to get across thematically by doing that? Like what that's supposed to be in terms of our view. Uh, and, and to me, it's a very immersive tool that you used both in Jesse James and here. Was it achieved the same way? Well, you know, you're trying to write with a camera, you know, and, and, you know, for me, people talk a lot about storytelling when it comes to filmmaking, but um, what I'm really interested in is the kind of musicality of film, you know, like mm. I, I would like to make film that can come at you directly, you know, and it operates like a piece of music that, that a, a certain image has a, has kind of a tone or a chord or a something that can sort of reach you directly. Um, so you just do whatever seems to feel right to kind of evoke a feeling. Do, do you know what I mean? And sometimes that stuff can can feel a bit self-conscious, you know, when it's like done badly and when it's done really well, it's amazing. Uh, Andrew, in, in the copyright pages of Blonde, Joyce Carol Oates specifically says this novel is not a biography. It's not yeah. biographical. It's a work of fiction and imagination. So I'm curious, do you see this film as a work of fiction, like should people be taking away any kind of fact from this film at all? Well, I think it's emotionally true. It's all fiction, baby. Mm. You know, even <laughs> documentaries fiction. Um, mm. You know, this situation we're in right now is fictional. You know, <laughs> do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I mean, the film's about the meaning of Marilyn Monroe. It's not like um, uh, it, it's concerned with what does she mean? Why does she 
uh, why does she continue to exert a hold over the imagination? Do, do you know what I mean? Or the collective imagination? Um, that's what it's about, you know, because... Um, you know, the woman herself is gone. The image remains, you know, um, and and it kind of does hook into, it, it hooks into us in a certain way. And why? What does it mean? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what the film's about. It's not about on the, you know, on the uh, on the 4th of August, this is what happened. You know, sure. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm curious if just over the course of your time, not that I'm asking you to name drop anybody, but if it's if it's common to see actors that sort of treat their stardom as a as a separate entity, you know, or something that's unique from their personality, or is that or is that something that was that was really tied to Marilyn and the way that she handled the the larger than life myth of her? Well, it's not just her. I mean, I think it's all of us. I think that we all have a have a a self that's for public consumption. You know what I mean? Like when you fall in love with someone, right? You put your best foot forward and so do they. And then at a certain point, you have to encounter the real human that's behind all that. Do you know what I mean? And that's sure. usually when the whole thing breaks down, you know, but mm. I, I think that's the way we all go through life split in half to a certain extent, you know, between the, the, the kind of unlovable self and the acceptable self that mm-hmm. is for consumption. I think in a famous person, that's just more exaggerated. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, there's yeah. literally an image and there's literally Norma, you know, um, mm. and it's the, tra- the it's the traumatic experience that necessitates that split. Yeah, and then I think she becomes more comfortable when she's around people who legitimately recognize her as, as Norma, you know. Well, we don't know about that, you know, because mm. she constantly seeks out the other people. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the only person who seems to really... Um, actually see her and care about her as whitey a makeup artist, but she just runs from the frying pan to the fire, you know, right. it seems. Right. She moves right. further and further away um, from people who can accept her and mm. more towards people who don't. If that's what I see happen in the film. You know? yeah. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know, Andrew, I, I, this film ended and I have not stopped thinking about it. It is, uh, it, it is an immersive experience and it, it is, it is an, an incredibly emotional experience. Um, and we were all talking last night after I, we watched it and kind of just about our thoughts on it and kind of going through the thematics. And then at the end of our conversation, we were talking about the MPA, uh, and, and the rating system and how ridiculous the MPA has been over the years in terms of like, you could say one F word in a PG 13, but if you say three, you get an R it's, a, it, it, it's just a very strange system. But we all said to each other, like, why do we think this got an NC-17? And we all collectively thought it had to be the JFK scene. Is that the scene that you think got the NC-17? Or And do you agree with the rating well, for probably. the film? I mean, it's hard to say because they're a lockbox, mate. They don't, they don't come back and, um, you know, I mean, they, they give you sort of pointers as to what might be problematic, you know. But, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's got a lot to do with who's in it. But on the other hand, people do seem to be like sort of, you know, upset by the film or triggered by the film in some way, you know, so maybe it's more effective than I thought. But when you were uh, filming that scene, did I you really know? What to is reading all the trigger warnings, you know, <laughs> because I think we've got everything from flashing lights to suicide to rape to, you know, drug use. I mean, everything, right? Right, yeah. There's Your something in there for everybody. don't have? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Andrew, you mentioned um, about people being upset about who's in that scene, and, and and we were talking about this, and I found it interesting that um, the film does specifically name Arthur Miller, but it does not name Joe DiMaggio or President Kennedy. Is there a reason that you can name one person and not another? Is it a, is it a legal issue? Is it a story uh, I, issue? I don't know. I mean, it's something Joyce did in the book. Um uh, and maybe it was legal. Uh, maybe it was a legal issue at that point. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think Joyce set out to write a hundred page novella and at the, the very last line would reveal the name of Marilyn Monroe. So I think she sort of had this idea of not naming anyone, but then it turned into this sprawling, you know, 700 page novel. And then maybe a few of those things survived. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the film's not, uh, and, and the book are not at all concerned with being fair to any other historical figure. I mean, it's, it's all from her point of view. How does it feel to her? And um, uh, it's, it's not balanced or fair. You know, we're inside the sort of narcissistic fortress. I mean that not like, you know, everybody, narcissism is synonymous with psychopath these days, but I mean in, in the psychoanalytic term um, where we're, where we don't know any more than she does. Do you know what I mean? And we experience it all from how it feels to her, where she is retaining her essential innocence the whole way 
through, which is not the most realistic way to view the world, but that's the way we do it in this film. You know what I'm right. saying? Right, she's right. a little orphan child, you know, and the world is doing it to her. Um, she's certainly not um, accepting any responsibility for herself. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's the way the film functions, you know. Right. Um, Andrew, who did you get to read the letters from her father? The actor that plays her father. Oh, is it really? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the the guy in the photograph. He, he's. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I was just I was just curious because I was he, looking for it in the credits. The father, he is the yeah, he is the father. He's actually okay. yeah. there. He's actually there. Um, if you look really carefully, you know, when she's looking for him outside the theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah he's, he's on the left of frame. He appears just a tiny bit out of focus just before the cut. Wow. Kevin, did you see oh, that? No, really? no, no. You'd have to wow. watch it a few times to see that. Oh, Andrew, that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. I, I have to mention this to you because one of the things that I've have been struck by when I watched the film is, is the smile. The smile brings yeah. so much light, but also you understand why she's smiling, if she's faking the smile or she'll go from very sad to smiling, basically from Norma yeah. to Marilyn. Um, yeah. But the smile to me was almost a character in itself. Um, and I wanted to ask you about as a filmmaker, capturing that smile, knowing what it would do to us emotionally, uh, whether it be invoke uh, a positive or a negative aspect. But to me, that was a really significant part to her performance. Yeah. Well, the thing is, she really looks like Marilyn when she smiles. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, I was always getting her to smile. You know, what I mean? Andrew, I, I have read a lot of interviews. Just all three of us, I think, can honestly say that, that Jesse James is one of our favorite films. And there's something that Brad Pitt says that I thought was fascinating, which is that in, he doesn't really remember any lines from his movies. Like people approach him on the street and try to quote a movie and he has no idea what they're talking about. But yeah. the one line he does remember that he can quote is from Jesse James. It's the, the about the, um, the the red hands and the mean face. So I'm yeah. curious, like, what does it mean to you that that of all the films that that man has done? And let's be honest, he's done quite a few that that's the line and the movie that seems to have made the impact. Because just about it doesn't matter what movie he's doing press for. He right. brings up Jesse James. Yeah. He does. yeah. Well, it's a great movie. You yes, know? it is. Yes, it is. And it's also it's a neglected it was a neglected film. So I think, you know, he, he probably feels a kind of um, protectiveness over that movie because it, it, it's not, not like the world stood up and cheered for Jesse James, you know? Um, but that's probably, I think that's his, he, he loves that film, you know, but you always feel protective of your neglected masterpiece. That's his best movie in right. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Especially when you believe in them. So, so totally. wholeheartedly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. great. I mean, that's beautiful. I didn't even know that. Yep. It's that's a true story. That's a, I didn't know that, you know? Well, I, and then to that end, uh, Andrew, you have a two hour and 46 minute um, film that I honestly am not sure anything you could take out of it. And so I was just curious if you could talk to us about your editing process, how you went through it with this, what other versions did you potentially have? What did you wrestle with you had to keep and, and maybe get rid of? Um, look, all movies are crap until they work. You know, they're just shit. <laughs> and, and that's just the way it is. I it's love that quote. Yeah, I mean, they are, you know, like, and you just hammer away at it. And, you know, you 
cross your fingers and you watch it and you hope it's going to work this time and it doesn't. It's like time 30 and you still can't watch the fucking thing and you're like throwing shit across the room. And then all of a sudden one day it works and you're just like, oh, jeez. But up until then, you don't know and you don't know if it's ever going to. So, I mean, especially a movie like this, which is very much about, it's kind of, it's about our, my relationship, your relationship to her. You know, Mm -hmm. the film is not about her relationship to other people in the story. The the film is about, uh, the, the viewer's relationship to her. Do you know what I mean? We understand why she's doing everything she's doing, but nobody else in the story does, you know? So you're kind of like the only person who understands, you know what I mean? When you watch the movie, that's the whole idea of it. Sure. And it, it's a kind of an emotional stepping stone, you know, like how do you keep the, uh, how do you keep the emotional momentum going? So it's a really tricky balancing act. And also, the movie is working um, in ways that it's not easy to quantify or understand. You know, like I know that if I remove um, a scene here, it's going to have a big impact like 40 minutes later, right? And, I, mm. and But it's not storytelling. I mean, most movies are like, you know, bag of money, you know what I mean? The clock is ticking. we got to get from A to B. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. Sure, oh, sure. There's something that's – there's some sort of um, – like joke superstructure that is um, is sort of carrying you through the thing, and you don't actually need the scenes to be good. You just got to like basil exposition your way to the end, kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like this, it's a little more. Um, it, it's difficult to balance it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it takes a long time. I mean, the the film is like. I mean, it's exactly the film that I wanted to make. It's not like there would be a director's cut of. Um, blonde that would be any different to the one that you've seen you know mm-hmm. do you know what i mean you can't you're not going to make it any better right. i mean yeah. you know you cut stuff because it's bad or you cut stuff because you don't need it you know um and everything has to prove its place mm. i think i try to take out every single scene in a film at some point you know <laughs> um you know, to see what you can get away with getting rid of. But okay. it was it was difficult. It didn't matter what we did to the movie, the length of it wouldn't change. You know, I could pull out actually it's a it's a different kind of law, right? Like you, you can pull fifteen things out of a movie, right? And it'll cut like thirty seconds. You put one thing back and it adds three minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the way it is, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The length of the movie never changed, and and I tried sort of fairly radical ways of of trying to cut the thing down, but um, yeah. I mean, it's just better the way it is, you know. I think it's phenomenal, Andrew. Andrew. I wanted to highlight real fast Nick and Warren's score because the 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 music yeah. is incredible um yeah, but in terms like the the score almost plays as a character itself um yeah it so i wanted to know like it's her emotional yeah. world you know it's her emotional it's trying to create a sort of you know an internal emotional landscape for her you know that's um it's all male voices though so um what's the question well, the question really comes down to like how how the score in terms of if a score kind of plays off as a character almost in the world, how you juxtapose kind of what the score was going to do versus what Anna was going to do in terms of giving us the emotional aspect of the film. Well, but, you know, what happened was um, 
you know, Nick and Warren do the score, and we have a particular way of working where they just generate music for me, you know, based on, um, you know, I'll give them a kind of uh, colour palette of instrument. Like, let's have the achy synth that Warwick Was plays, um, icy piano, some sort of rumbly low end, you know, you want some sort of disturbing low end, and, um, and vocals. That was basically the palette, if you like. And they're going to add strings to that too, you know. Um, and what kind of feeling it should have, right? And Warren Warren had to look at something like, I don't know if you guys know about PIX, but basically they dailies now go up on this website called PIX and people get access to it and, you know, they can watch this or that or the other thing, you know. And we had to put something up on picks for for Warren in pre. I can't remember what it was, but they never took him down. And he was in Paris at the time, and he watched all the dailies for the movie. So, like, for, like, nice. the, the 10 weeks or the nine weeks that we were shooting, Warren would watch the dailies every day. I had no idea that he was doing this. So he started making – he knew the film really well, you know, um, and he just started making little bits of music and texting them to me and um, – what they end up doing is they just generate an enormous amount of music. And um, uh, it's sort of, you know, some of it's sort of like free-flowing improvisation, some of it's a little more structured. It's just whatever, you know, whatever sort of gets sparked, you know. And they do about two weeks' work on it, you know. They'll just go into the studio every day for two weeks. And then I've got six hours' worth of pieces. And then I cut to that temp stuff, you know. Um, and I'll just try different bits of music all over the place, and certain things just seem to hit, you know. When you've got the right sound with something, all of a sudden it feels like, oh, okay, that's what it is, you know. Right, right. Um, and then they'll have another crack at sort of, you know, ma making it sound a bit better and a bit more sort of professional, and generally we don't use any of that. We end up just using the rough temp mix that they supplied me with in the first place. <laughs> Occasionally we augment it with a few strings and stuff like that. Um, but it's very difficult once you've actually got a, something that works to make it better. And you're usually mm -hmm. just making it worse, you know. Um, so we have a good relationship, you know, where it's very organic. It's like we're cutting to the music um, as much as, I mean, we cut the music as well, but it's, it's, it's all happening at once. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like... You, you cut a movie and then somebody comes in and puts some wallpaper music in it. You know what I mean? Like the, the music is sort of integral to the, the whole, whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Andrew, I, we really wish we had more time. We know you have a lot of other things to go to today, but thank you so much for coming on real blend. We really appreciated the opportunity to talk about blonde with you. No worries, mate. You should have asked me some hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Next time. Yeah. Next they time. Say you're not allowed to ask me any hard questions. <laughs> really? No, we're, we're, this is all the stuff we were interested in asking you when okay. we're talking about the filmmaking. That's good. Yeah. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much to Andrew Dominic for joining the show. And of course, thanks to Netflix for getting him on to discuss Blonde. This is one you guys have to put on your radar. It's a fascinating, fascinating movie. Can't wait to talk about it in greater detail on Friday's show. In addition, uh, we do have another really cool interview that's going to be part of the main show on Friday. Uh, we got to sit down with director Nicholas Stoller uh, and producer Judd Apatow to discuss the new comedy Bros. Uh, and we're going to review that movie on Friday's show as well. We also have some other really fun in and interesting interviews in The Hopper 
that I know you guys are going to want to be part of. So make sure that you subscribe to Real Blend. Uh, keep it locked in here for the latest uh, entertainment and content from the show. And we'll be back with a full show for you guys on Friday. So uh, until then, keep it right here. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.